For the past 25 years, Aldo Civico has served as a negotiation advisor and facilitator in armed conflicts in Colombia, the Western Balkans, and Syria. He has also led efforts to curb urban violence in Mexico, Haiti, Italy, and the United States, and advised national governments on the disarmament, demobilization, and reintegration of former combatants. Since 2001, Aldo has been intimately involved in the peace talks between the Colombian government and the insurgent group known as the National Liberation Army. Though most of us will, fortunately, never be forced to negotiate with terrorists, drug lords, and urban gangs, a close study of these same scenarios, according to Chivico, yields lessons relevant for any successful leader, involving communication, flexibility, and self-mastery. If, if you are constantly reacting, then you create a loop from, from which is then more and more difficult. It becomes a spiral that spirals you down in, in a conflict. So listening actually is a, is a perfect way to interrupt that destructive dynamic and opening a space for something else to happen. Uh, and it gives you also lots of uh, uh, information. Please enjoy our conversation with Aldo Civico. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is brought to you by 8, maker of the 8 Smart Bed. Sleeping is smart. So is a bed that tells you exactly how well you slept last night. The 8 Smart Bed is a four-layer, high-density foam mattress paired with a smart cover that goes on the mattress just like a fitted sheet. This nearly invisible technology layer has multiple sensors that measure the quality of your sleep and deliver a daily sleep report each morning through the 8 app. The 8 cover also has a bed warming feature that warms each side of the bed individually to accommodate different sleeping temperatures. And 8 connects to almost any Wi-Fi enabled device in your house. Coffee makers, blinds, smart lights. Did we mention bed warming? Ivy Podcast listeners get $100 off any mattress purchase by entering the promo code IVY at checkout. Visit www.8sleep.com forward slash IVY to start sleeping smarter today. So what would be like in your way, in your words, the positive way to define yeah, so, conflict? Know, yeah. So let me say something about that negativity, right? So, so it is, first of all, conflict is... A fact of life. It's not something you can get rid of. Um, and sometimes we have that attitude, you know, we want to exclude, we want to r- resolve something by meaning also j- just repress something, right? Uh, I think the positive attitude is actually, first of all, becoming aware of, well, w- what is it that really disturbs me here? You know, there's a, when I'm in a conflict and I, and I get, my emotions get involved, naturally, that's also something that happens, right? Uh, I might get anxious, fearful, angry, 
Uh, well, it's interesting actually to stop back, step back for a moment and say, well, what's the part of me that is becoming angry and why is it that I'm actually getting impatient, angry, frustrated here, right? That I think is, is a first um, positive thing of conflict, that, that it's a mirror actually of ourselves. It's a mirror of how we build relationships, it's a mirror about how we tackle problems, uh, it's a mirror how we go through life. So when, when there is something that, a conflict that becomes disturbing to you, it's also something uh, it's an opportunity, an invitation for a moment of self-awareness, mm -hmm. I think. You say, well, there's a part of me here that, that just got angry. Isn't that interesting, right? What, what is it? And I think, so, it becomes a, a, um, an invitation and an opportunity for growth, for personal growth, for uh, understanding you and getting to know yourself better, uh, which opens up, if you want, if you're open to, to, to a development of, of yourself. The same thing is true about the relationship. Uh, if you know, it's not only oh, there is a part of me, but it's oh, what is not working here? Uh, what is it that I know to know more about the other person in order to understand where the other person coming from? So it's also an invitation of upgrading your relationships, and that goes from your personal relationships, but it also evolves to a whole team or an organization. And you can expand it also to a community, a neighborhood, a city, and so on. Right. All right. So. You can almost define conflict as a way, in your words, a way to upgrade relationships. Yes, I, I, it's an opportunity. So we can see uh, and, th and think about how, how the attitude changes, right? If, you, if I tell you, well, conflict is a problem, what is the problem, what is the cause, mm -hmm. uh, what's not working? Well, if you start, if you right now think of something that is a sort of a conflict in your life and you start answering those uh, questions, chances are you are getting actually even more down and more depressed and less resourceful. If I start telling, if I start instead in telling you what conflict is a problem, instead I tell you, well, here there is an opportunity, right? Uh, which internal resources do you have to resolve this problem? What kind of invitation is this? Uh, what's the next level in your personal development or in the development of your relationship? Well, then conflict, uh, you see it in a, your attitude and even your energy and your emotions are completely different, right? The conflict is the same one out there. What changes is my attitude and the meaning that I give to that. That doesn't mean that you cannot get angry, that you don't lose it. That's okay, right? I mean, we are humans and, and we do react sometimes. Uh, but I think that if you're properly trained and if you start doing this self-awareness work, uh, then more and more you're able to identify those moments, even after you snapped, if you want. When I say, oh, isn't that interesting whether I just snap? What does it really that disturb me? And that becomes an insight in, uh, in your own essence, in your own uh, personality. Absolutely. So let's um, tie this to like a, a broader lesson. So if we think about um, conflict resolution as an opportunity, yeah. um, and we want to create an environment where the likelihood of success in solving a conflict is maximized, uh, what are the key ingredients to make sure that that happens? So one step you just mentioned is change your attitude. See yeah. it as not necessarily something explosively yeah. negative, but actually an opportunity to upgrade yeah. uh, your relationships. Yeah. What are the other key ingredients to having a successful outcome? So, so self-awareness, right? That's definitely a first step. The second step is listening. You know, um, Listening is, first of all, is a smart thing to do. Because when you listen 
to to the other person or even to yourself but let's now do it in an interactive uh, dynamic if you listen you, you get a lot of information uh, about the other person and if you want to move on uh, move out or transform a, a situation you need to understand where is the other person coming from what is the map of the world that informs how someone perceives and feels and acts in the world um, Without that information, your chances of actually getting it wrong are higher uh, because you are na navigating without a map, basically, in that moment of the conflict. So listening opens up a space where actually the premises for a resolution or even a transformation are possible. Um, sometimes what happens in a conflict is that because we feel hurt, we try to start defending ourselves or making our case or justifying. And so... We actually spend a lot of words, we interrupt each other, uh, we become, we argue and we compete in, in who is right and who is wrong. Um, listening gets you out actually of that reactive mode, uh, which even from a tactical point of view is, is very important. Uh, if, if you are constantly reacting, then you create a loop from, from which is then more and more difficult, it becomes a spiral that spirals you down in, in a conflict. So, Listening actually is a, is a perfect way to interrupt that destructive dynamic and opening a space for something else to happen. Uh, and it gives you also lots of uh, uh, information. Uh, I, I would say uh, the third important step, if in order to uh, remain cooperative, uh, is actually to build on whatever the other person says, uh, on the idea. So include in your feedback, in your response, always include something uh, of what the other person said, uh, piece of information, uh, uh, an attitude, uh, because that gives the signal, uh, even unconsciously, to the other person, I'm hearing you and I'm actually incorporating and uh, I'm considering you, besides hearing you, and, and, and I'm building upon what you just said, rather than just competing and, and being uh, uh, against each other. Um, and I thought, in general, I would say, you know, you cannot improvise with skills uh, in, in, in a conflict. Uh, either you do go through trial error and, uh, you know, later in your life, finally, you, <laughs> you know how best and smart, in a smart way to deal with conflict. Or you need to do proper training in settings that are safe, where you're not under the pressure of conflict and creating those habits. But most of the time, then you try out in uh, not heated situations in, in your everyday life. So that then... In, in a heated situation, they become like a reflex. Uh, you know, you, you are remember, reminded yourself on how to remain uh, calm, how to master your emotions, how to lead and conduct uh, during during a conflict. And that might just determine how an entire experience of the conflict is experienced and lived by, by the entire parties. You know, you, you have the power as a leader, if you're a leader organization, leader within your family, a group, whatever, the leader of yourself, you really have the power of creating the framework within which an experience uh, develops and, uh, and shapes. So if you let the events just go and, and be shaped by ex external circumstances, you sooner or later will become a victim you know, of, of a circumstance and just go into a reactive mode. Um, if you are trained, uh, then and you know how to act, you know, and it, it might be also just an exercise of the will because everything within you tells you, 
you know, to do something completely different and maybe more destructive. Uh, th that that just can transform a, a, a situation and, and transform the conflict into an opportunity. Okay, uh, I, w I really want to like work through some scenarios together sure. so that we can yeah. visualize Absolutely. practical applications Absolutely. of uh, of this framework yeah. that you just provided. Um, so we'll do a couple of different mm -hmm. ones. Uh, maybe to get us started, let's start with like an extreme situation. Let's say it's um, hostage crisis, yeah. and you're the uh, negotiator yeah, sure. sent in to uh, resolve the conflict. Yeah. So again, given it's like a general yeah. situation, yeah. what would be the steps that you would yeah. advise someone follows yeah. to successfully release the hostages? So that's actually, it's a, it's a great example because those are extreme situations and most of us will not find themselves in those situations, but at looking how negotiators uh, use the skills and what kind of skills they use in those situations helps us also to understand how to apply them in less uh, in less intense situation, right? So if you think about it, someone who takes other people hostage, they, the stakes are very high, and it's a question of life and death. So a negotiator in those opportunities and in uh, uh, those occasions has to be able to immediately, right away, influence. The, uh, the hostage taker so that nothing bad and, and terrible happens. Um, and a negotiator needs to do so quickly and immediately. And the first thing that a negotiator needs to do in that sense is to build a rapport. Uh, because unless you build rapport with someone, uh, you're not able to influence nobody, right? So even if you look at the uh, certain Hollywood movies that have hostage-taking situation. You see always the, this, this guy who is able to talk and, uh, and, and uh, to find ways in which uh, the, the interests, what, what are the leverage points that someone can activate in order to start influence. And that happens uh, by building rapport. And when you build a rapport, uh, it's not something that you do once and forever, like, you know, we are friends. No, it's something that you constantly need to do. It's the rapport in the moment, right? Uh, so you and I can be friends, but it's the rapport that we create now that is important. That meaning that building rapport is building a connection, and that's really the first thing you do. And when when you, for example, when you train with me, we don't learn only what kind of questions you can ask so that you elicit, you know, that kind of a map of the world that helps me then to understand where you come from and how your meanings and perceptions work. But we use also uh, what is very important in communication, which is in. 70% of our conversation is non-verbal communication. So the best way for me to create an immediate report is actually to work with consciously with non-verbal uh, communication, right? So I, uh, I need to pay attention to different things. One, for example, uh, about the position of the body, right? If someone is leaning back in a, in a, on a chair uh, and instead I you know, lean forward across the table, even if I don't want to, even if my intention is to be forthcoming, whatever, I might be perceived involuntarily as being aggressive, right? So I want to match the body, the position of the body, the energy of the body of the other person because that creates unconsciously immediate connection. I want to pay attention to the tone of the voice, you know, and the speed. Is someone talking uh, very loud or, or, or very low or, you know, uh, am I using a lot, very wordy or a little words? You want to, you know, match that um, as well. Um, and, and so, and, and paying attention to those little details 
uh, one, one thing that I think is very powerful is also the the rhythm of the breath. You know, and is someone breathing more from the diaphragm and from the stomach, or more up here in, in a more agitated way? So you you want to match those things because um, those connect immediately. And if you own that, then you use also the right words because I elicit through some question your map of the world, and I'm able to use that. Um, then I create a report. So. A report is over. If you if you think about what just I described, is it, is all about actually being there and being present and being silent, so that I understand you. It's not about convincing you. It's not about uh, um, telling you uh, anything. To com- no, it's about re- being receptive of what is your state of mind. Uh, if I'm, I have no idea what your state of mind is, how can I take you somewhere else? Right. So that's that. I would say is the uh, first thing. The second thing is to find out what are the things that move you. You know, what are the things that motivate you? What are the leverage points? You know, in crisis, hostile crisis situation, they try to identify right away. Is there some person that matters to you? You know, is it your girlfriend, your mother, your grandmother, your wife, or your daughter? Right? Because then, then you try to play with those emotional triggers in order to influence and to open up a different state of mind, personalize it uh, more, right? Um, and then, and then you, you know, you try to gain time and, and as, as, as you prepare the rescue uh, operation and negotiate a way out. That might be possibly good for everybody, right? For the hostages, but also for the life of a hostage taker so that you can actually uh, capture him and, 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 and bring him before justice. Okay, so building rapport, which is heavily yeah. influenced by your ability to listen yeah. and mirror the person yeah. so that they open up to you. And then from there, it's all about understanding their yeah. leverage points yeah. and how to maneuver it. And actually, you know, I, I think who, who are really great in doing that are uh, the uh, car salesperson. You know, if you, if you, if you go into a, a store because you want to get a, a car, the first questions are always trying to understand wh- what is it really... That, what's the need be, behind the fact that you want a car, right? Is it because you are just a functional guy who wants to go from home to work? Or is it because, you know, social status or you like speed or you like whatever, right? And then they present you actually the car that matches match your needs, right? What those salesperson are very good at in the first few seconds is building rapport with you, so much so that actually you start talking about yourself, right? So it's that kind of connection, uh, that I think is very important in any negotiation, in any conflict resolution situation, uh, because it gives you the power of actually influencing positively the dynamic towards uh, a result that, that, that you want to have. Okay, great. So let's now switch to another yeah. scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, in this one, uh, it's not as life and death, but um, a, a business transaction. So let's imagine a startup yeah. uh, raising money mm-hmm. and they want to raise money from a particular mm-hmm. investor. Mm-hmm. And clearly the startup CEO wants to make sure that the stock is sold for the highest possible yes. price. The investor wants to make sure that the stock is purchased at the lowest yeah. possible price. So in a situation like this, where there are more clearly defined parameters. It's yeah. not so black and white like yeah. um, like a hostage situation yeah. where you either save the yeah. hostages or not. Yeah. In this one, it's a price negotiation. Yeah. So if you're going in from, let's just for the sake of example and 
given our audience. Let's imagine the startup CEO. Yeah. Uh, for a startup CEO going into a negotiation like this, what would be like a great framework for them to follow? You know, I would say some of the principles are the same. Uh, the same. Uh, rapport building, connecting. Uh, if you don't connect, you, you will even not able to make your case, uh, present your case in a way that is effective, right? So knowing as much as possible about the history, the interest, what motivates uh, the, the investors are is very important uh, because then you can present your startup in the same ways, right? But just using the language and the interest, the needs of, of, uh, of the investor. So it's really... Uh, you know, it's negotiation slash sales kind of uh, skills that are needed at uh, uh, that point. Um, the, the second point that I, I would say is, you know, entering, you know, uh, you know, you will not get the perfect world because there is no such thing. So that you will have, you know, you might have a price in mind, and it will be difficult to get it exactly as you would like to. So. You, you are going to try to be as close as, as possible. Because at the end of the day, uh, you also want the money. So there is a benefit that you are getting. You, you will give up your ideal perfect situation, but uh, you are ready actually not to get your perfect world in order to make your, your, your idea and your vision happen uh, uh, thanks to the investment and the money, right? So what is very important for you to understand is what what are scenarios that you will be fine with? You know, what 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 are the ideal outcome? What is it that you really want actually from this negotiation? Um, and th which is probably not just money. It's probably also a very loyal, long-standing partnership. It's access to certain networks, right? So, so a negotiation, is, I think, is never just about the dollars, about the price. Is especially for a startup, it's about you know. What, what is the progress uh, and, and, uh, and, and the sustainability of the whole entire project. Uh, so maybe you are happy to lose a little bit on the dollar side if there are other benefits that are coming in. So you need to be really clear of what is it that you want to get out in the short term, but also in the long term. Uh, within that, you create your flexibility. You know, what's the point where you know you cannot go below? Uh, because it's not worthy, because you don't want to, or because it's not feasible for whatever reason, right? You need to create that uh, flexibility. Um, and then, you know, also, okay, what are you ready to give up? You, you need to have a sort of a menu mm -hmm. of options uh, so that you can pick from the, that menus during the negotiation in the, you know, given and taken. You, you know what you can give, or you, what are you ready to give and how much? Uh, what else can you take? Maybe you cannot get the price that you want, but what else could that investor give you? And if you have done your diligence, then you know exactly uh, what you know uh, what you can ask. Maybe you ask that investor to be on the board, but there are conditions. You know, you can come to the board if you bring in other investors, if you give access to certain network, and so on. So you want to be very strategic, uh, knowing that what you are negotiating um, is only a piece of, of a bigger puzzle and you want to have a clear vision about what the puzzle is and how it should look like at the end of the, of the process. Okay, very interesting. So one distinction here between the two scenarios we discussed is in a scenario where there is a price or yeah. there's a variable outcome, <clears throat> so the advice you get, gave just to summarize is 
try to know, okay, what would be an ideal outcome for you, knowing that you're not necessarily going to get yeah. there. Also consider what is the line in, yeah. at which you will yeah. not go below. And then within those two lines, think beyond just the price. Think of the overall structure, yeah. which gives you the flexibility. So if there's an impasse on price, yeah. then perhaps there are other things that compensate for Correct. either you or the other party Correct. to get your way. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So third scenario. Now let's uh, really switch it up. Um, this time, let's imagine um, there's a couple uh, who love each other very much, um, but one of them needs to relocate to get a dream job. Yeah. Let's say they live in New York, yeah. and one of them got an amazing job yeah. offer in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and let's say, you know, uh, we're looking at this from the perspective of the person yeah. who wants to move to LA to yeah. take this job. And the other person in the relationship yeah. um, would rather stay in New York. Yeah. So in a situation like this where it's not a price, it's not life or death, and it's two people who are very much you know, in love and supportive of each other, when you're approaching this kind of a negotiation, what's different and what, what's the framework that you would advise for yeah. somebody to have? So the, <clears throat> the external circumstances of or what you need to talk about are only, in my opinion, the exteriority, the manifestation of deeper needs that people try to take care of, right? So in, uh, in someone moving to Los Angeles for that opportunity, yes, that's the excuse. That's what happens in the moment. But b beneath that, there is something deeper going on. There is a need that I want to, uh, that, that I want to satisfy. Maybe it's a need for uh, you know, financial security. Maybe it's a need to feel really... Uh, more significant in 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 uh, in the career and the work that you do. Uh, maybe it's uh, the need of making a bigger contribution to the world. Whatever it is, right? The same thing goes with the other person who instead doesn't want to move. What is it that uh, that really you know? What is it that you really really want? What is your real need by saying I don't want to move? Uh, so what you find out is that at times what, are in, what is in conflict is not so much the logistic of where we are living, but some needs that are in intention and in paradox. So I, I see, you know, I, I get to work with couples and I see it happening again and again, uh, where there are some, some needs that, that are paradoxical and, and just clash, uh, even though we all have those needs, only that they are emphasize more in a person and in another. So, for example, one classical conflict is between someone who wants more stability and security uh, and comfort versus someone who is more adventurous and needs constant change, right, and, and variety in life. Well, if, if you have those two people coming together, you see that there is a, a natural uh, tension there, right? So, in that case, if, if you want to stay cooperative, Right and finding a, a constructive solution, you need to uh, about. Let, let's say I, I, you know, I move uh, to Los Angeles and my partner doesn't want to. I need to understand how I'm going to frame the move from Los to Los Angeles. Not just because it's good and great for me, and not just because well, since we love each other, you should just come right by default. Not making that assumption, but trying to understand what is the need and that, if that need, let's say for example, is security and, 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 and certainty and stability, 
is how is that move going to increase in taking care of that need? And that's what, you, that's what the conversation needs to be about, right? Moving or not, if there is love, we are, we are, you know, in, in how you frame your qu question was the assumption that there is unconditional love between the two things, between the two people. If there is unconditional love, then both are really happy for the sake of the relationship and because the relationship comes first, either to both move to Los Angeles or both not to move. But that's the end of the process. What needs to be explored in those cases are really the needs and taking care of the needs of the other, which I think is at the end what defines a, a romantic relationship is that we are taking care of each other's needs. So I'm going to take care of my need of the need of security my partner, if that's the case. My partner will take care of my needs for variety and adventure and moving around, if that's, and respecting that and giving me that freedom and that independence, right? Uh, so it's always the, you know, the issue is always deeper. So that's a typical case where it's an opportunity to upgrade the, the quality of the relationship because the circumstances came that is throwing the, the equilibrium that you had until the moment up in the air. So how do you recreate that equilibrium and that harmony at a higher level that makes both happy? Um, or that makes both happy to give something up because you gain something else, right? <clears throat> So taking care of the need of the other is the best way to serve us actually also your need because when you take care of the needs of the other person, then you have a partner, an ally in taking care also of your needs. If you don't do that and you impose your need and you are not empathic and you don't understand the need of the other, well, that's, you know, uh, that might be the beginning of the end, right? Or, or something that becomes very unhappy and, and unfulfilling. Okay. So what's fascinating here is, you know, again, uh, just looking at something that seems like, well, that can, you know, destroy a relationship because of yeah. this move by just taking that attitude, okay, like, how can we upgrade our relationship through this by really using this as an opportunity yeah. to figure out, okay, what do you really care most about and trying to come to a resolution that way uh, is really important. So um, it's been really cool to, I guess, compare and contrast these three different scenarios. Uh, what I'd love to do now is just to really think uh, from a purely tactical perspective. Yeah. Let's say, you know, this gave us a really good strategic grounding, yeah. but let's assume this is like, a, you know, kind of a lower level interaction. You know, you want to buy something from a yeah. shopkeeper. Yeah. There's no price listed, so it's like haggling. Yeah. Um, in situations like that, what are some like generally accepted best practices when you're in a negotiation, um, so let's say you do all the yeah. bigger things right, just little things that can give you an advantage in getting your way. Sure. Well, first of all, you know, I think that you always have to think about what's your objective here. You know, what's your outcome? Uh, what's your motivation? Because sometimes people just like to negotiate for the sake of uh, negotiating, especially in these uh, small deals, right? Um, there are even cultures where the whole thing is about this game of negotiating. It's not even about, at the end of the day, buying something. It's about the game and enjoying that thing, right? Or is your, you know, uh, is, is your uh, objective really getting the best deal and quickly? So, so one of the things I think you always need to be clear when you go into a negotiation, even if it's a small thing, is what's your desired outcome here? If you don't have a clear where you want to end up, uh, it's like getting into a taxi without knowing 
you know, where the taxi needs to get you off. You might know, uh, you know, might say to a taxi driver, I don't want to go to JFK, I don't want to go to Central Park, I don't go, want to go to the Empire State Building. Uh, that's still not enough information uh, for the taxi driver. You need to give him a, an address. So you need, when, when you negotiate, you need an address. You need to know what's my direction, where is it that I want to land. Um, that's, that's the first thing. The, the second thing is, I think is, I found it almost as a, as an attitude that made me win all the negotiations uh, that, I, that I was really interested in and where I had a stake, is to take care of, of the other. What is it that the other actually wants to get out? And what is it that I can concede? Uh, but not as something that is diminishing of me. You know, I, I think we need also to go get away from an idea of negotiation as a win-lose game that either you or I win. No, I think the best negotiations are the one where we get off convinced and experienced that we are both winning. So understanding what the win is for the other is very important for me to be able to win as well. And if I take care of that, it goes back a little bit on what I was saying about the needs before, uh, then I have a better strategy uh, in, in order to, to get where, where, uh, uh, where I need to go. Um, so, you know, in, in, in a shop, you know exactly that under a certain price, you know, the, the, the guy is not making money or is losing or just cannot give it to you, right? So you need to gauge a little bit and understand was it, what's in here for, for him, what makes him look good. You know, I always say, well, if you take care of the ego of others, you know, you are just making <laughs> inroads uh, that, are, that are wonderful. That's, that's um, the other thing that I uh, would always recommend. Take, take care of the other person uh, because then the other person will take care of you. Um, the other thing is you need to be ready uh, to get up the table if you think that things are not getting in, in uh, your way and, and shake up things. You know, sometimes uh, bringing a shock in, 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 in the system uh, that might just be that relationship, that rapport, is, is healthy. Um, so I, I myself was in a tough negotiation uh, like, like a, a, a month ago. Uh, it was a consultancy and, and my prospect clients was, you know, always finding a way to lowering uh, the price and it was really a job that I wanted because I was really motivated by that job in itself more than the money really was the but you know re, re, I, I, I knew exactly I, I drew a line under which price I, I was not going to and when when I realized that we were going down to that line I say you know I understand but if these are the conditions and your way of dealing then I'm sorry I just can't and I and I walk out of the room and I called, you know, send an email to, to the boss who had brought us together. And I say, you know, if these are really the condition, I'm sorry. I don't matter. You know, it doesn't matter how much you are motivated or you want me, but it, it doesn't work like this. And, um, and that created a shock, right? And so, you know, a sort of a resetting of the whole conversation. So you need also to be ready uh, to walk away. Uh, being out of the negotiation doesn't mean to negotiate at all cost and to the exhaustion of the point. No, sometimes you need to be assertive uh, and you, you need to be strong um, also to get the needed respect, right? Um, what I would not do if I can add uh, something is lose it, you know, uh, unless it's part of your strategy, but it's really, really rare, you should not lose your temper. Uh, 
um, because then backtracking, uh, you, you show your vulnerability and you show your weakness when you are not able to uh, put it together. And I, and I ask, uh, you know, I have great mentors in my work. One is Senator George Mitchell, who mediated the conflict in Northern Ireland, and, and Alvaro de Soto, who did the peace agreement for the UN in El Salvador, are very close friends of mine, and I have learned a lot from them. And I once asked them, you know, what, what, what is it that a mediator or a negotiator really need? And they said, you know, uh, you can take all the degrees that you want, a master's degree, if you don't have a temper, right temper, uh, and you're not able to be patient and, and not lose it, it's going to be very difficult that you do a good job, right? So I think there's an equilibrium between being assertive, you know, and firm when needed, and also able and ready to walk off as part of your strategy, but not as a moment, a reactive moment where you lose it and, and you know, can put it together. Okay, great. That's amazing advice. So just to recap, um, got to know, your address when you're negotiating, yes. where you want to get to, very specifically what your goal is. You need to really think about um, the other person yeah. and what they're looking for yes. and what motivates them above and beyond the like the simple surface yeah. level, yeah. What, what deeply drives them. Being ready to walk away yeah. when you know, yeah. you're know you feeling like you're yeah. not going anywhere, uh, doing a shock to the system, and then finally uh, keep, keep your temper in yeah. check. Uh, very important. Yeah. If I may add something, yeah. I think one of ability you might want to uh, develop over time is, is a capacity of interrupting patterns, right? Sometimes people get in a certain loop of state of mind where, where just, you know, you, you just see that they are there, they're there, and that the mental condition in which they are or the emotional situation in which they are is not just going to help making every move. Mm. And you need to do something that interrupts that. Uh, so that you know you, you you reset kind of the state of mind and and it can be anything um, you know uh, William Yuri uh, gives a great advice for the moment that are mostly heated and when you feel that you know you're boiling up and almost uh, ready to explode or that uh, he says you know go to the balcony right meaning just take a time out right and that might just be a few minutes like a day a walk and you just ask for that time and say you know I think we discussed enough. I, I just need a moment. It's better that than exploding. Uh, but the other thing is in, interrupt. So that's a, one way of interrupting a pattern. But another way can be, um, you know, just just get up and, and, and get something. Uh, asking something completely out of the blue that doesn't have any meaning. Like, you know, what did you eat for breakfast today? You know, that, that something that throws the other person off, but creates that moment of disorientation but allows them to repick the conversation at, a, at another level. So rather than um, nourishing that loop, you know, by being reactive and 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 digging a, a deeper hole all the time, well, it's better just to interrupt that and, and, and do whatever it was. It can be just simple as saying, hey, let, let's take a walk and, and just changing physiologically how, how you're sitting there uh, changes completely, you know, the, the state of mind by throwing a, a question that doesn't have to any meaning with the with the content, or by saying, "Hey, did you just see that out of the window?" And, and only those uh, little things, you know, uh, are um, uh, helping right. to to reset the conversation. Right. So interrupting any negative loops by taking yeah. a break or changing the subject and coming back to it. Um, that actually makes me think about like the factor of time, yeah. um, time sensitivity. Mm -hmm. You know, 
So people have um, asymmetry oftentimes on who's in the bigger rush yeah. to get something done, yeah. who is more comfortable to yeah. let it drag. Um, so when it comes to best practices around time, um, what would you say, like, you know, if you are in a rush to get this closed, is it smart to make that clear or is that actually a, a disadvantage? Um, if you're more relaxed for time, is it better for you to, to drag it along? Like, how, what would be your kind of advice for best practice there? Um, so it depends really what motivation the, the, the rush. Uh, because if an extra day gives me a, lot, a better deal, I use the extra day. Mm -hmm. If extra day is helping to go things in a direction that I don't want to, then you might want to, you know, close things down. That might mean that you give more up if you want. Uh, but if it's more important uh, to, to close the deal within a certain uh, time frame, um, you know, time is very subjective, right? Time is more, uh, uh, it's also imposed sometimes by, by, by a thing. I, I think if you have the freedom, you feel that there's a right time to come to a conclusion. It also means sometimes that you need to rush. Uh, my, maybe you see the opportunity to close the deal right there because you see that the other party is in a good mood and you better take whatever is possible there because you know that if you prolong a negotiation, you might just lose the momentum. So there's, you know, I, rather than time, I would talk about momentum in a, in, a, in a negotiation. And that momentum can be created uh, through pressure by accelerating or by taking it slower. It really depends on what is creating momentum. You know, uh, I remember George Mitchell told me that at one point, very crucial point, he just realized that uh, unless they were signing the uh, Green Friday agreements that night, you know, he would have lost the momentum. And, and so he just, you know, created the pressure and the conditions and worked through the night but made sure that the agreement was signed uh, because that was the right moment. Um, so uh, it, it's it's a combination of art and and science. You know, there are some constraints, um, and, and and then there is momentum. You know, I I've been following the peace process in Colombia um, uh, with the FARC uh, very closely, and it was very interesting that at the beginning of the process, uh, when I was talking to the military intelligence and senior officials in the government. Their timeline was, you know, within 10 months, within 12 months, we're gonna sign. It took them six years, right? Um, because you need to create momentum because sometimes things are more complicated than you think. Uh, so that's okay. I, 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 I'm glad that even though the political times, you know, look, looked from a perspective of the government would have been better in 10 months, I'm glad they had the flexibility to understand that taking six years uh, was, you know, not ideal, uh, but was better for the end results, which in this case, the government was really determined and committed to actually finally have an agreement after 60 years of war. Yeah. Would you say, given how human nature is, um, if you're the weaker party in a negotiation, as in you're the one with more to lose, and the counterparty just has, let's say, Let's assume it's a situation where, like, yeah. you're a bit more genuinely more yeah. desperate to make sure that this actually happens. Um, in that kind of a situation, would you would it be correct to say, um, do whatever you can to maintain momentum and come to a deal, because time is not on your side with especially a stronger party that has options. Yeah. What well, What do you think? Well, so so there is a, 
there's a sort of a rule for when it's uh, the right moment to to negotiate and uh, Zimmerman who is a great scholar in conflict resolution talks about the ripeness moment which is defined as the moment when the parties uh, realize that uh, there is a hearting stalemate that the situation as it is is harming both parties and so therefore you need to come together you know, to stay with the example of Colombia, 60 years of internal armed conflict, the government was not able to militarily defeat the guerrilla, no matter how much many years and millions and billions of dollars were invested in it and uh, how many results they actually had in the terrain, especially in the last past 10 years. And the guerrilla realized that no matter how many efforts and you know, uh, forms of financing their uh, insurgents they had, they were never going to overthrow the government at this point and take over, right? So at that point, the only thing to win uh, was to come together and to negotiate at the end of the conflict. Um, there is always a symmetry, or, or often there is a symmetry, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that the, who, whoever has uh, more resources or has the upper hand is necessarily the winning part. <laughs> um, you know, in the case of El Salvador, if we just stay in the international realm, uh, even though you, you might uh, say that the state, the government had more resources to win the guerrilla, well, the guerrilla had created a perception that they were actually going to win and to take over the capital and the cities and so on. And that perception is really what matters. You know, it's not a, the rightness thing is that I perceive the moment is right. And again, that perception can be nourished. Uh, I can create, help creating that perception. And that's one of the things that very skilled and good mediators do is, is to help the parties to have the perception that now the time has come uh, to talk and to uh, negotiate. Right. Yeah. Um, so one thing I want to touch on and then uh, as a closing thought, yeah. um, a lot of what you mentioned, you know, could take what people react to, conflict resolution, negotiation. These are things that people like generally, like, with some exceptions, most people don't feel like they enjoy those things. Yeah. But you've talked very positively about, actually, it can be a great way to upgrade yeah. relationships and take things to the next level. Um, so not to be on a negative note, but like, let's just, we all know, we all have people in our lives that have sure. come across our lives that they're just extremely negative. Like, yeah. so let's say you want to be positive and you want to yeah. find what drives them and so forth, but their mindset is just not, yeah. It's like almost a chronic negativity, yeah. um, you know, and it's not obviously the most, most fun topic, yeah. but, but it happens all the time. So when your counterparty um, is somebody that just isn't seeing the light or like their perceptions of things are really quite negative glass, uh, yeah. kind of half full, um, what, would you, or, uh, what, what would you say is like a best way, best practice for dealing with a negative person? Well, first of all, there's something preventive to be do done, especially when it comes to business or creating teams. Uh, my highly recommendation is always to surround yourself with the people you really want to work with and that are filling your energy instead of sucking your energy. And really to get rid of the people that suck your energy, you know, and have nothing to contribute. Uh, sometimes you do, you do make very wrong hiring. Uh, that's okay. L lesson learned, right? But you, you don't have to stick with the people who are not helping you, you know, in, in maintaining a certain level of energy and, and, and creativity and, and capacity for innovation. So uh, I think a lot of those situations, especially at work and especially if you have 
the ability to make those decisions is really uh, to decide for yourself with whom do you want to hang out. And I think that that also comes with your circle of friends, right? Uh, being selective, I, I, I think, of the friends you hang out with is, is, is a matter of uh, quality of life, uh, you know? And, and I don't want to say get, getting rid of, but, you know, decreasing the interaction with those who are making things heavy uh, is part of taking care actually of your capacity then to be positive and make a contribution in life. It's a little bit different, more different when it comes to family members, you know, because you're born into it and, and they're part of your... But when, when, uh, when you have someone who is um, negative, you know, uh, what I found, and, and there are lots of skills that you can develop and they, they come from the field of hypnosis, especially Ericksonian hypnosis, is to use very indirect suggestions and planting seeds, uh, you know, so, so, so that maybe in that moment it's not resolutive of the situation, but you give me, you, you implant something, a seed that over time, uh, or you can even gently really questioning uh, things, right? If someone tells you, well, nothing ever works in my life, you, you can ask a person, uh, nothing, right? Uh, and then, you know, most of the time, well, Right, and and you already brought them out of that negativity just by asking uh, a, a simple a simple question, right? Um, or you can uh, plant you know those seeds with also two questions. You can say, well, I wonder uh, how you could look at this thing in a, a different way. How how would you experience also this thing differently? Maybe you cannot, and I wonder if you can. But yeah, you know, and and so so. And I think the thing is uh, assuming the other person can be positive. You know, if, if we approach someone and we just label the person as negative, probably the, how we interact with the person is going to just enabling even more that, right? So instead, if we assume that there is a capacity somewhere in that person to be positive, and it's a matter of me not having it yet discovered how I can trigger that positivity, how I can ignite that positivity, then, then uh, my interaction with the person becomes, well, becomes even adventurous and can be even fun because I, it's just an exploration and, hey, a lot of time you will hit against the wall and say, no, there's, there's no door there, I thought there was a door, until you find that, right? Because at the end, I think that there is always something of a life principle in, in also in the most negative person. Uh, maybe that person had never a chance of... Uh, of discovering it or feeling safe and discovering maybe that negativity has become a, a tactic and a strategy in in getting attention in, in feeling uh, significant and worthy then again we go to what i was telling you before that's the need right so the negativity is actually um, a mask right it's a performance uh, but it's not really the essence of that person so so what's the need that is behind that behavior uh, and i would say that is true for every behavior, you know, even if someone is angry. Uh, the issue is not how that behavior manifests, the issue is what's the need, what need are you actually satisfying? And someone who is negative is actually doing, the reason why they're doing it is because it's somehow satisfying some needs. In a way it is destructive and self-sabotaging, mm -hmm. but it's actually taking care of something. What is that something? And I, and I think that exploration is to, on, on your behalf, is to get to that something. Once you find it, you actually got the key to change possibly even that person beside your interaction with the person, right? Uh, because it might be a, a need to feel significant, a need to connect 
even though the result is disconnection. But what the person really, really wants is connection. So how can you satisfy that need, right? Uh, and sometimes implanting something, asking a question in an indirect way, um, making an observation or questioning something, might be the beginning of, of a shift. Okay. Awesome. This has been a fascinating conversation, Aldo. I really appreciate it. How can uh, the Ivy audience support you in your endeavors? So, uh, well, I, w one of the things that I, I'm doing, I don't know when you are hiring this, but as we are speaking, I'm launching my new uh, content hub on the internet as a platform. And the idea came because several of my friends uh, asked me actually to share the skills and the stories uh, so that they can apply them in their own uh, environments, something that I might you know, experience or have experienced in extreme situations like negotiations in ceasefire, things like that, but they might be applied to their own life. So one of the things that if people are interested in staying in touch and, and connecting more is to go to my uh, platform, which is www.aldocivico.com. Um, yeah, and, and that's certainly one way... I'm always open also to, you know, I, I think one important thing is what I told you is being ready, being properly trained so that when those moments where you need to perform come, you actually have the tools and the muscles. Um, so I'm always fascinated by the opportunity to put together people in groups, and I do that today uh, mostly uh, online, and actually train together those skills. Uh, and so if People from the community are happy to, to get together in, in smaller groups and, and getting online live trainings, and I'm also happy to explore that. Okay, well, we'll definitely spread the word about the new platform as well as the groups. Hopefully, I organize some activities together. Thank you so much for sharing your Thank insights. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.